If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, about the trooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens, fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, the culture, and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 236 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have the second part of our celebration of the 100th anniversary of Disney by exploring some of the folklore origins of some of the classic Disney movies. Last week we covered uh, Snow White. Well, I say last week, it was actually only a couple of minutes ago that I recorded that episode. Uh, again, we're going to release these two together. But now we move on to Disney's next folklore adaptation, their next, uh, which would come 13 years after Snow White which would be a movie that would financially save the company and allow them to build Disney's dream of Disneyland. And this is the tale of Cinderella. And we are going to be exploring the grim tale of Cinderella today, despite the fact that uh, Charles Perrault's French version, which came, which was written down a little bit earlier, although of course this story would have come from the oral tradition, uh, would be more influential on the Disney version. But this is the story, the version of the story that I like the most because it's got all that grim brutality within it. Uh, But if this is your first time listening to the podcast, these are a different kind of thing that we do normally on the podcast, normally focusing on Irish and Irish folklore mythology. But they are still good examples, uh, as they all are, of of what we do here on Fireside, exploring and spreading out um, into various different aspects of storytelling. And if you're a returning listener, you'll be well familiar with all this. But all the usual ways you can support the podcast, you can follow me over on Instagram at FiresideBard. You can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. You can buy my book, Garden Sea, A Neo-Myth of Home, available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in Kindle version from Amazon. We can ship the paperback all around the world. Thank you so much to all those who continue to buy the, the, the book uh, as we lead up now to the second anniversary of the publication of Fireside, or to the publication of Garden Sea, I should say. And if you, the final way you can support the podcast is by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can not only support the podcast, but gain bonus material for Fireside and all the other podcasts in the Headstuff Podcast Network, which continues to grow. And you can also now get added new bonus features, such as being able to go completely ad-free for Fireside and for all the Headstuff Podcasts on a podcast platform of your choice. All of the links are in the description below, and those are the hard sells out of the way. 
as I said, I'm recording this episode in the same session as I recorded the Snow White, which means I'm still recording in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, which is great to be over here. Um, love, love this city, love getting to know it, and nice to be over here um, for a few days uh, before I return home to rehearsals for Describe the Night, the uh, Soviet drama about the rise and fall of the Soviet Union through the perspective of the seven lies, particularly that of the rise of Vladimir Putin, uh, which is shaping up to be a really great show. Uh, tickets, links to this tickets are in the description below as well. Anyone who that is around Dublin between November 20th and December 9th, it, it'll be on in Glass Mask Theatre in Dublin um, for those three weeks, and I'm very much looking forward to it. So anyone, if that sounds like your type of thing, the tickets are there below. It'd be great to see you along there. But this story for this week, it's again, it's another one of those tales that is so ubiquitous and just so ingrained in the minds of, of Western culture. Um, similar to Snow White, this is one that is frequently performed in panto and is one of those things that we think of when we think of Disney. As a matter of fact, this movie would give Disney its logo Um the two aspects we think of when we think of the Walt Disney Company, we think of the image of the castle and we think of the song, uh, When You Wish Upon a Star. Uh, so When You Wish Upon a Star came from the movie Pinocchio, which came out just after Snow White. But this would be Cinderella's castle, um, which is the castle within the walls of Disneyland itself. And Cinderella's castle is what would become the logo of the company, of the empire of which it is now. But story, like Cinderella stories, as we call them still today, particularly in sports, and this is a phrase we use so much, and this is one of the oldest and often told stories in the world. There are oral stories of a Cinderella dating back to the 7th century, um, where there are stories of you know, ancient, I think it's an ancient Roman princess marrying a prince of Egypt, um, but for our purposes, the story and where we get the name Cinderella, which in the German, in the grim fairy tale, which we're adopting today, is Aschenputtel, which is a wonderful phrase, as so many phrases are in the German language. This is, we're coming from the mid to late 18th century and early 19th century. Certainly the early 19th century is where we have Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm. Um, and as I said, it would be the Charles Perrault version, uh, which came out in France a bit earlier, that would be more influential on Disney. But we will talk about all those differences between the Perrault version, the Disney version, and of the Grim Tale afterwards. But here we have the Grim Tale of Cinderella on Fireside. <laughs> Cinderella. There was once a little girl whose mother became very ill. The girl went to her mother's bedside, and the mother made her promise to always be good-tempered and kind. The girl said, I promise. And once the words were out, the mother died. The girl's father was rich, and within a year he had remarried. His new wife had two daughters of her own. They were both beautiful of face, but had been spoiled their entire lives, and their hearts had grown twisted and cruel. 
The sisters were jealous of their new stepfather's daughter, and so vowed to make her life a misery. They took the little girl's fine clothes and forced her to wear rags and wooden clogs. They made her work morning, noon, and night, making breakfast, mopping up, making the beds, cleaning out the fire, anything they could think of, really. And the girl was not even allowed to sleep in a bed at the end of the day. Instead, she was forced to sleep on the hearth of the fire pit. It was the closest thing she had to warmth. Because of this, the girl was always sooty and dusty, and the stepsisters gave her a cruel name, Cinderella. But for her part, Cinderella kept her promise to her mother, and despite her dour circumstances, she remained good-natured and kind. Every day Cinderella would go to her mother's grave, which lay by the dovecot where the birds lived, and she would cry into the earth. One day the father was going into market, and he asked the three girls what they would like him to bring home. Clothes, dresses, said one stepdaughter. Jewels, diamonds, said the other. And you, Cinderella? the father asked. Even he had gotten into the habit of calling her by this name. Father, she began, all I want is the first branch that brushes your coat on your way home. A strange request, the father thought. But later that night he returned with dresses and jewels for the stepdaughters and the branch of a hazel tree for Cinderella. She planted this branch in her mother's grave, and her tears watered the branch until it grew into a beautiful tree. It was a hazel tree that became popular with all the birds, and Cinderella visited the tree three times a day. It was her only time of peace and happiness. The king was holding a great festival over three nights. All of the eligible young women in the kingdom were invited, for the prince was due to select one of them as his bride. So any girl in the kingdom could be the next queen. Cinderella's household was all go. In the lead-up to the festival, she had to sew dresses for her wicked stepsisters and help them find jewels to match. But when Cinderella herself asked if she too may go to the festival, her stepmother took a jar of peas and lentils and tossed them into the fire pit. If you can pick all of those lentils out of the ashes and sort them good from bad in the next two hours, then you may join us at the festival. A cruel and impossible task, and mere busy work to distract the girl while they got ready, thought the stepmother. But Cinderella knelt down and sang to the birds that lived in the hazel tree. Come, little birds, and use your nimble beaks to help me sort through these. The doves and pigeons flew into the house and onto the hearth, and at half the time required, picked out all of the lentils and sorted the good from the bad. When Cinderella presented the lentils to her stepmother, the woman said, Lentils or no, you can't come to the festival. You can't dance, and you have no social graces. We would have to babysit you and ruin our chances of marrying our family to the prince. Would you do that to your own family? 
And in any case, you have no dress, no shoes. We'd be embarrassed to be seen with you. The stepmother and her two daughters left for the festival, and Cinderella went to the hazel tree on her mother's grave and began once again to cry. Oh, hazel tree. Oh, mother. I want to go to the festival. Please, can you send me a dress? What color? whispered the tree. I want to gleam as the stars in the sky. Give me a dress, the color of starlight. And suddenly a branch lowered, and there was the most beautiful dress, the color of starlight, with silk shoes to match. Cinderella took them all, cleaned herself up, and went to the ball. At the festival, Cinderella drew immediate attention from all assembled. Even her stepsisters couldn't take their eyes off her. Of course, they didn't recognize her as their own Cinderella. They thought she must be the princess of a far-off kingdom. Many men asked the girl to dance, but Cinderella refused. She just wanted to be there, away from the ash and the misery. But when the prince himself approached and asked Cinderella to dance, she could hardly refuse. The prince danced with no one else that night, and all eyes were on the shining starlight of Cinderella. But when the prince left her to go fetch them a drink, Cinderella took the opportunity and ran away. There was such a thing as too much fun, she thought. The prince chased her all the way home, and Cinderella hid in the dovecot. Her father was there to greet the prince. Have you seen a beautiful girl wearing a dress of starlight? asked the prince. No, there is no one here but poor old Cinderella, said the father. The prince eventually had to give up and return to the festival. There was still two days to go, and the next night, after her stepsisters left, Cinderella went to the hazel tree and asked for another dress. Now I want to gleam like the full moon. Send me a dress the color of moonlight. The branch lowered, and Cinderella took the dress. The prince was overjoyed to see Cinderella again that night. I thought I would never see you again, and you have not even told me your name. The girl said, It's been so long since anyone has called me by my true name, I cannot even remember what it is. The prince thought this a strange answer, but he didn't care. He was happy to be in the moment and dance with this girl who gleamed like moonlight. Cinderella danced all night and once again slipped away when the prince was not looking. The prince chased her all the way home, but lost her before he could catch up. There was one night of the festival left, and this time Cinderella wanted something the most beautiful of all, a dress that would almost blind all around her. She went to the hazel tree and asked, Send me a dress, as glorious as sunlight. The most beautiful dress of all descended with solid gold shoes that Cinderella took and went to the final dance. On this night, the prince was not going to let the girl get away that easily. He spread pitch, hot tar, on all the staircases of the palace so that his dream girl could not run away. When Cinderella attempted an Irish goodbye at the end of the night, her shoes became stuck in the tar. She pulled and pulled, 
but could only manage to pull one out of the pitch, leaving one golden shoe in the tar. The prince found the shoe and declared that whoever's foot fit the shoe would be his queen. The prince went door to door throughout the kingdom looking for the girl. When he was coming to Cinderella's house, her stepsisters were determined that one of them would fit the shoe. As it happened, they both had the loveliest feet. But when the prince arrived, the stepmother gave her daughters each a knife and told one, If the shoe does not fit, cut off a piece of your heel, and the other, cut off one of your toes. It will only hurt for a while, and you will be a queen. You will have no need to walk anywhere again. The first stepsister tried the shoe. It was too short for her, so she did as her mother asked and sliced off the back of her heel. The shoe fit, and the stepsister tried to smile as she walked to the prince. The prince knew that this girl was not the one he was looking for, but he had to honor his word. He placed the stepsister on the back of his horse and carried her back to the castle. But the doves, who lived in the hazel tree, flew above the prince and whispered in his ear, Coo! Coo! There's blood in the shoe! The prince stopped the horse and realized that the stepsister had deceived him. He brought her home and gave the shoe to the other sister, who had cut off her toe. But the doves appeared once more, and the prince noticed the blood trailing on the ground. Have you no other daughters? the prince asked. He knew this was the house where he had chased the girl. There is only our dirty servant girl, said the stepmother. But she was not even worth bringing to the festival, so I wouldn't want to waste your time, your highness. Bring her to me at once, said the prince. Cinderella was brought forth, and of course, the slipper fit like a glove. For good measure, Cinderella reached behind her and produced the other golden slipper, and the prince was finally united with his dream girl. He asked Cinderella to marry him, and she accepted, finally able to rise out of her dire circumstances. At the wedding of Cinderella and the prince, the stepsisters showed up, attempting to win favor with their prospective new queen. Their family was technically marrying royalty after all. But as they walked into the church, one stepsister skulking on Cinderella's either side, the doves once again flew down and pecked each of the sisters' eyes out. For their crimes of selfishness and cruelty, the stepsisters were cursed with blindness. The vision of Cinderella had been blinding indeed. The End Drag Race UK is back and if you are watching and you want to hear some outrageous opinions, some glittering guests and some piping hot tea, tune in to Sissy That Pod with new episodes every Friday right after the episode airs. Brought to you by the Headstuff Podcast Network. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Hate me because I listen to Sissy That Pod.
And there we have the tale of Cinderella on Fireside, and I hope you all enjoyed it. So yes, there are a couple of very stark differences for those who may be familiar with the story. This is, again, similar with Snow White. I'm operating on a basis that essentially everyone who listens to this podcast will be familiar with the story of Cinderella through whatever iteration of it you may have seen, but perhaps you may not, may or may not be aware of the Brothers Grimm version of this story or what was changed and what was adapted. And so the first major thing, I suppose is where to even begin. I suppose, yeah, the first major thing uh, is that the stepsisters are beautiful. Um, it was certainly, I, I believe it was a Disney invention to make the stepsisters ugly. But the point of it is that they were beautiful of face and wicked inside. Um, whereas the questionable message of them being ugly on the outside and ugly on the inside and therefore undeserving of love, which the Disney version propagates, is naturally something that is more problematic and not aged particularly well. It is actually more interesting and much more realistic for them to be beautiful on the outside, but twisted by uh, being spoiled and being waited on hand and foot their entire lives as they are in this story. And probably the biggest significant change is, of course, that it is not a ball, it is a festival, and it is over the course of three nights. So similar to Snow White with the three, visita the three visitations of the evil queen, Cinderella goes to the ball, to the festival, three nights in a row, each night wearing a different dress. A dress that has not come from a fairy godmother, but a dress that has come from a tree, a hazel tree. I love that it's a hazel tree because the hazel tree is so important in Irish folklore and is considered to be one of the most magical trees along with the hawthorn and the blackthorn. So it's great to see that in other cultures, certainly in Germany, that the hazel tree also was considered a source of magic. And it is this beautiful image of Cinderella crying into her mother's grave, into this planted hazel branch that makes this tree grow. And the hazel tree, and I suppose the spirit of Cinderella's dead mother, acts as our fairy godmother in this. One thing there is not is um, a ticking clock. That was the one thing. There is not as much of an explanation as to why Cinderella needs to run away at the end of each night. So I was going to talk about this at the end, but I suppose this is a natural point to talk about it. So Charles Burroughs' version uh, of Cinderella is where we get most of what we would associate now with the story, um, which includes the fairy godmother uh, transforming a pumpkin into a carriage and the glass slipper, the glass slipper that has become so iconic with the story. Whereas in this version, she has several shoes, the last one being made of gold. Um, but crucially, what Perrault introduced, which makes a lot of sense from a modern sense of storytelling, is a ticking clock uh, in that Cinderella has to be out of the ball by midnight or else all of her clothes will disappear uh, and the pumpkin will return to normal. And it is only the shoes, the glass slippers that are left at the end of this enchantment Whereas Cinderella seems to run away at the end of each night out of more of a sense of shyness or I had this idea, yes, of that too much of a good time or perhaps she's worried about being found out that the prince won't find her interesting or whatever. And perhaps that doesn't matter, but it is 
it is interesting that we don't have as much of an external force uh, taking her away from the prince as we do in most versions of the story and certainly in the Disney version. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, that it isn't that she just casually dropped her glass slipper running away, but it is that the prince spread tar on the steps of the castle so that she physically couldn't run away. <laughs> he was to meaning to trap this woman from running away from him. And she does get trapped and loses one of her shoes. And then we still have the same very famous final part of the story of trying to find the girl who fits the shoe. But we have this wonderfully dark and brutal grim fairy tale aspect of it with the stepsisters being encouraged to slice off their heel and cut off their toes so that their shoes would fit, their feet would fit inside it. Because, of course, many people could fit the same size shoe. And the prince, it is even acknowledged in this story that the prince acknowledges that he does know that the stepsisters aren't the girl he's looking for, but must honor this uh, vow that he made to marry whoever fit the shoe. Um, And then at the very end, we have this final twist Uh, So throughout the story, we have these birds that help Cinderella out all the time, from sorting the lentils to um, whispering in the prince's ears that uh, that the stepsisters are not who they say they are. And finally, at the end, when Cinderella is getting married, the birds peck out the stepsisters' eyes, which again, when I was talking about Snow White, about this addendum, this final addendum that you see in a lot of grim tales, where the Grimm's brothers seemed less interested in the resolution of their hero stories than of a punishment for their villains. And we have the poor steps, like the queen, evil queen in Snow White was forced to dance until she died, and Rumpelstiltskin tore himself in half. We have here that the stepsisters were blinded for their cruelty and their treatment of Cinderella by these birds. And not a great way to lose one's eyes being pecked out by doves, certainly not. And in terms of the movie itself, so I mentioned a bit briefly at the end of last week. So it was 13 years. We associate Disney so much with the Disney princess and the brand that that has become. But that is not as commonplace as one would think. As I said, so Disney never wanted to repeat himself after Snow White had become the most financially film of all time until Gone with the Wind came out a couple of years after that. But he never really had a hit again. Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, any of the movies made during World War II, none of these were as financially successful as Snow White had been. They'd been expensive and experimental, had either been mixed reviews, good box office, but still not enough to break even. And so after World War II, Disney really, really needed a hit. So only then would he go back to the familiar territory of of fairy tales, and that is where Cinderella came from. Cinderella, which was one of the movies I grew up watching on video and was always very fond of it, but is now, unlike Snow White, which I still can revisit and still appreciate the influence and the merit of it, Cinderella is not a movie I visit again very often. Um, I don't like the music. I hate the mice so much. Um, I think there's nothing as much... One thing I will say is that Cinderella herself is a stronger character than Snow White is in her movie, and that is certainly true in the original story as well. Snow White is more having things happen around her, which again makes sense when you realize in the actual story she's much younger. She's only a girl of seven. 
But Cinderella has a lot more agency in her own story. She All of this is put upon her from this vow she made to her dying mother. And she is the one who plants the tree, you know, is the one who is kind to others, um, is the one who wants to go to the festival and makes this wish. And she is the one who ultimately rises above her station and becomes queen. And she is very active in that. And she is so in the Disney movie as well, um, just a little bit blander, shall we say, because there is less brutality and violence within it. And rather than having birds in the original story, Cinderella, of course, has this army of mice who the shrill voices of um, have not aged well for me at all. The one exception, of course, is the how iconic the fairy godmother is and the song Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo, which I still will have a lot of time for. But despite my uh, love for uh, my love for the Cinderella 1950 movie being lacking, a movie that did do exactly what it was intended to do, like it was considered a much safer fare, trying to appeal to as wide an audience as possible. And it worked because it made loads of money. It allowed Disney to build Disneyland and it saved the company from, from ruin. Um, so perhaps there wouldn't be a Disney if it wasn't for Cinderella. So I can't discount it for that either. But there is something still very strong about this story. And like I said with Snow White, it's hard to know if that's just because it's so ingrained in the Western mind. But it is also just that the the beats work so well and there is so much story here. There's so much story to be told in such a relatively short amount of time. Um, and that would make these... That's, to me, as much as anything, makes sense of why I would possibly be doing adaptations of stories that you all know so well and that, in theory, I couldn't possibly bring anything to. But these, I always thought, adapting these stories always informs and continues to grow anything else that I adapt. And it seems like justification enough on that alone. One thing I should mention at this point, I should have mentioned this in the last episode, I'm going to put a link in the description below to a blog that I've followed for years uh, called The Unshaved Mouse um, by a great writer named Neil Sharpson. I don't know if I've ever mentioned him on the podcast before, but uh, years ago he did a comprehensive ranking of all the Disney movies when he... Um, had his first daughter and wanted to rewatch all of the Disney movies to see um, which ones he would show her um, when she was growing up. And I learned a huge amount more about the intricacies of the Walt Disney Company um, through this really entertaining and funny and informative blog. So I will put links in the description below as I'll be uh, doing so many of these Disney episodes in the next couple of weeks because um, there are thanks oh definitely to, to Sharpson for that he added help he kind of helped me take my Disney fandom from just something from my childhood to something I became very very interested in later in life culminating with my reading of Disney War by James B. Stewart which is seven eight hundred page book on the economics of the Disney company it got uh, it got deep there for a while um, but next week on the podcast the next episode we're going to have is the next grim adaptation or Perot adaptation that the Disney company did, which would be nine years after Cinderella, but would go into production pretty much straight away. An absolutely majestic, beautiful uh, movie adaptation, one of the greatest ever. Um, the story in the Grim Tales is known as Briar Rose, 
but to all of us, it is known as Sleeping Beauty. And so that will be what will be coming up next. All the usual ways you can support the podcast, follow me over on Instagram, email me at thefiresidebard.gmail.com. Let me know if you like this version of the story. What do you think of Cinderella, the story, the, the movie? Let me know a comment below or email me or message me. Uh, buy my book, Garden Sea, Neo Myth of Home. Uh, support me at Headstuff Plus. I will see you all. You'll hear me all next time. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Plus.